0: Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. Please like, share, and subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts across the Big Blue View Radio network. All right, with your four and eight Giants on the bye week, here to uh, help me make sense of of all things going on with your New York giants is uh, Dan Duggan of the athletic. Dan, thank you very, very much for, for hopping on. Yeah. happy to be here, Ed. Hey, you know, I had, uh, I had your cohort Charlotte Carroll on a couple of weeks ago. So I, you know, I have to be an equal opportunity, uh, you know, podcast interviewer. So, so it's your turn. All right. Tough
1: act to follow.
0: <laughs> yeah. We, we had fun talking to Charlotte. So, uh, so you know, we always we always like to get guests on. It's always good for folks to uh, to hear from somebody other than me. I think they hear enough from me. Um, <laughs> hey, before before we get uh, before we get deep into anything, I just wanted to say that I really appreciated the the post you did on Saquon the other day. The uh, sort of behind the scenes look. I love stuff like that. Stuff that's away from the game. Stuff that uh, it tells us a little bit more about people than than what we see on the football field.
1: Oh yeah. I appreciate that. Yes. Anyone who's maybe listening, who doesn't know. Yeah. I, I kind of tagged along with Saquon after the game on Sunday and he does this thing where um, he meets with three kids from two different organizations. One is with uh, young adults who are facing homelessness and one is for children who have a parent or parents uh, incarcerated. Uh, so it's a really cool thing he does. I mean, he is certainly someone who kind of, Talks the talk, but also walks the walk when it comes to giving back to the community. Because, I mean, I think a lot of guys do stuff for the cameras, but he had been doing this, uh, you know, since his rookie, rookie year without any media attention. I just kind of uh, approached him about doing it, and, and he certainly was receptive. And um, I appreciate you saying that because, yeah, I think it was cool, something different. And I think it shows a side of him that, you know, yeah, everyone sees the, you know, the guys, you know, on the field or, you know, in a press conference or whatever. But to see him uh, in that setting with these young people, to me, uh, was really a cool side of him.
0: Yeah, it's great to see guys make use of their platform to 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 help the community, to help kids who aren't as fortunate. So, I appreciate it, and I hope other people did too. Thank you. Hey, so so let's get into some of what's going on with the uh, with the Giants. At this point, we had. A chance on on Monday to speak with general manager Joe Shane it's the only time we've spoken with him since the uh, since the season started you know it's late in the year you love to love to get uh, get a chance to speak to to the GM earlier in the year but I I thought some of the some of what he had to say was interesting and some of how he said it was interesting which is always the the cool thing about being there to see it in person um just wanted to get your reaction to some of it, and I'll start with uh, with what he said about Daniel Jones. So I'm yeah, just I mean, curious you know, your reaction your reaction to all of that.
1: Yeah, and listen, I mean, like you said, he hasn't spoken in a while, so he obviously knew this was on the calendar. I'm glad he did it because he did the bye week last year, and so I hope it just becomes annual thing. You don't want guys to kind of hide when things aren't going well, and be out front when things are. So it's good that he kept uh, kept that precedent going. But so he obviously knows that the Daniel Jones topic was going to, you know, kind of dominate that presser. I mean, he didn't even let us ask the first question. He came out and, you know, kind of hit some of the big points right off the bat. And Obviously, that was one of them. One of them. And he said, you know, the expectation is that Daniel will be our quarterback when he's healthy. And then he said, but, you know, obviously we don't know how long the recovery is going to be. So we're going to have to address that position. Like it's all obvious stuff. But I think he was very uh astute with how he worded things he didn't paint himself into a corner really either way like no one can call him a liar if they draft a quarterback with let's say the third pick in the draft come april because he said hey uh you gotta ask point blank does that mean you take a quarterback in the first round and he said we'll take the best player available so he kind of left a you know, nice open-ended question that gms like to do because again they're not going to tell us the truth or be totally transparent and everything but they also don't want to just blatantly lie because then you kind of lose just credibility uh in these settings so i think he you know it's almost like a lawyer you word things uh, a certain way that you know you give yourself some wiggle room i thought he did a good job of shrouding that line because again he was very well prepared knew what the types of questions would be knew how he wanted to answer them so he kind of stuck to that script and again i think it's he left it over interpretation if you think hey Daniel jones is still the guy and you know get him healthy and get upgrade the supporting cast you can still believe that after listening to joe shane if you think listen it's time to move on probably gonna have a top draft pick here he let you believe that. So I think that's kind of what he wanted to do. He's not going to come out and openly declare what's going to happen in five months, especially because he doesn't know there's so many variables and so many things right. that have to happen uh, before any decision
0: has to be made. Right. He certainly couldn't throw Jones under the bus and say, it's time to move on because no matter what the situation is next year, Daniel Jones is on the roster. And at some point, whether it's week one or week eight, at some point, Daniel Jones is going to play football for the giants next year at some point. So Yeah. So I did think it was, it was interesting. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see what the giants do. I mean, and simply when it comes to, when it comes to the Jones piece, they could do just about anything. They could, they could draft a guy early, you know, in in the first round, they could try to have their cake and eat it too. And, you know, try to get a guy in the second round or trade back into the first round. So, it's it's fascinating. I'm just not one of those people who says if they want a quarterback, it has to be Caleb Williams or Drake May. I don't know how you feel.
1: Yeah, well, listen, they've kind of played themselves sort of out of that sweepstakes because, you know, these last two wins, I think there was a point there. We thought like 2-15 and was very much on the table. Now Mm -hmm. it's flipped, and now they got four wins. And I think people are starting to say, oh, maybe if they scratch a few more wins, the playoffs aren't aren't, uh, out of the picture, which is, you know, it's it's crazy. It tells you how the NFL is and how brilliant they were to expand the playoff field because it just keeps everybody alive as long as possible. But playoffs aside, just being a four wins, you look at the teams behind them, I don't see them getting past in the standings. You know, I don't think the right. Panthers are suddenly going to run off a couple of wins. That Patriots team we saw last Sunday. I don't see them, you know, scratching out a couple more wins. So those teams are probably going to be locked in uh, to the top two picks. I mean, obviously, I guess the Panthers pick belongs to the Bears, but I still don't know if you've seen enough from Justin Fields if for them to to commit. But bottom line, I, I guess what I'm long winded away, I don't think they're going to have a chance to get Williams and May unless they're going to make some, you know, major trade up. So. Um, I think that's just sort of where it's like. Oh, so now if you're picking. Let's just say fifth. Let's pick, you're picking seventh, It's a little more cloudy there because who is Jaden Daniels worth that? Um, would they really make a huge offer to try to go up to get one of those top two guys? It's it's just a lot less clarity. Whereas when they were cruising along and it looked like two and fifteen was in play they were going to be confronted with like, you're the taking one of these guys who everyone agrees is, you know, worthy of that and a top two uh, caliber play, pick. And now it's just so much murkier because, you know, we don't know where they're going to end up, but certainly probably not in striking distance of those two guys.
0: Just while we're, while we're on the topic, what's your take on the whole idea of tanking? I know that there's a lot of giants fans out there that, that would have rather seen two and 15 that, 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 that are unhappy that they've won games. And, and for me, for me, that's that's a hard pill to swallow because for me, you know, these guys, we see them in the locker room, Dan. We know what they go through in a lot of ways. You know, we see we see how they react to winning and losing in some respects. And and for me, I always like to see guys win. I always think there's value in it. But you know, what what's your take on the whole idea of of tanking for a higher pick?
1: Yeah, I mean, so from a fan perspective, I totally understand it. Because you're saying, like, whatever, let's just, you know, let's pretend like it's Madden, simulate these last six, seven games whatever it was when they had the two wins and get that top two pick and we'll get to April and we'll draft Caleb Williams, we'll draft Drake May. But the people involved can't think that way, don't think that way. They do no incentive to really think that way. Like maybe Joe Shane and Brian Davis, you could say, they might look down the road and say, oh, man, to get one of those guys really set us up. But they still have to just get there. And these guys, you know, you know like obviously – the coaches are working seven days a week, round the clock. They're getting ready to win every game. Like, there's no way, like, Brian Dable is not like, cut out of the office at noontime on a Friday because, ah, who cares if we win this game? Like, they're doing, they're pouring everything into winning these games. That's just how they're wired. And it has to be because, listen, you know, I, you know Brian Dable, I think, is safe for year three, but two and 15 versus, let's say, six and 11, that it, it, it has a different look. And if you can say, hey, we won four games down the stretch, even playing Tommy DeVito and, you know, maybe Tyrod, that means something. You know, especially to the Giants owners, they're never going to be the type to green light, like, hey, you know what? Let's kind of pack it in here. That's just certainly not the way John Marrow will ever um, treat these games. He's, you know, I think the strongest thing I've ever heard him say was during that 2017 season when tanking came up, and he said it's complete bullshit. I don't know if you've, uh, <laughs> yeah, you no, that's, there, that's fine. That's hey. okay. But so for, for hey. John Marrow to say that, I mean, I've never heard that guy curse. So, I mean, that tells you how strongly they feel about it. And then with players, I mean, zero motivation to tank. I mean, for a couple of reasons. A they're you know, they're all playing for their next contract. I think Justin Pugh has said that well a few times. Like you're putting out this film, whether it's for the Giants or the 31 other team. You, I mean, it just doesn't even make sense. you don't have to go too deep in the players. Like they're they're out there to play, they're out there to win. They don't really care who the Giants could pick in the draft next year. Half these guys definitely won't be here. And I mean, what are you gonna try and help the draft stock for the team that you might not even be with next year? That just wouldn't even enter their their mind. So I think the only way you could see it is sort of how the roster is managed, and you could say like if Devito was terrible and Tyrod came back, I every mean, Tyrod was healthy, and they stuck with Devito, you kind of say like what's the motivation there? But I don't even think that's in play because Devito has at least been competent. So if you, I mean, I think that'll be a topic, you know, for sure next week. Who's going to start, if, assuming Tyrod's cleared? But it, it's not a oh if they're sticking with Devito. They're obviously tanking. You could make a case that that might be. Um, the way they go and it wouldn't be a ridiculous thing. But that's the only way a team could tank in the NFL. I think mean, it's just making a decision where you're not necessarily playing the best player. Like if you start sitting down, you know, you sit Andrew Thomas down to, you know, give Josh Miles reps at left tackle. Like that's the type of stuff that would be like, well, that's a little eyebrow raising. But once the ball is snapped on Sunday, everybody out there is trying to win. And you saw that. I mean, they were jubilant after uh, that Mm -hmm. kick went wide left on Sunday. They they don't care. They're not thinking about the draft pick. That's so far away for these guys.
0: No, they put too much into it. They want to win these games and they put their bodies and their careers on the line. So, So, so I always feel good for these guys when things work out well for them. I wanted to ask you next about, um, some of the things that, that Joe said about the offensive line. And in particular, what he said about Evan Neal, um, you know, for folks that didn't see it or hear it, Joe said, uh, about Evan Neal. He said that he still thinks that Evan Neal can play. And he still thinks that Evan Neal can be a tackle in the NFL. And and I don't know if that's just sort of, you know, let's wait until the off season to, to talk about that. Or if he, or if that's how he really feels, I just hope and I don't remember. When did you start covering the team, Dan? What year did you uh, start 20, covering?
1: 2016. Me and, me and McAdoo came in together. Right. So
0: I don't know about you, but it gave off for me when he was talking about Neil and talking about going back and watching the film and saying this kid can play. If you remember, you know, Jerry Reese was – I think the only person on the planet, after Eric Flowers' rookie year, who thought that Eric Flowers could play left tackle in the NFL, and Eric Flowers played there for three years, only because Jerry Reese insisted that he not get moved because Jerry want, Jerry insisted, I drafted this guy to play left tackle, and and I want to be proven right, and and I don't know, I don't know about you, but I sure hope that that what joe shane is saying is or isn't saying is i want to be right about this guy
1: yeah no i think the evan Neal stuff was probably the most interesting and maybe candid shane was because again he knows what questions are coming he knows he's going to be asked about evan Neal most likely it's his, you know top 10 pick from a year ago who has not performed well and his first comment was you know evan needs to play better Uh, This regime has not really done that type of thing of calling out any player. And it wasn't like the harshest comment, but it was harsh for this regime. Because again, you know, Dable will never say anything negative about a player. Uh, So I thought that was interesting that he opened there. But then he also went on to say like, and I still have faith in him. He's a hard worker, this and that. So it's kind of interesting that he kind of put it on him though, initially. And even went on to say how he went back and watched his tape at Alabama, which to me felt like, was he just confirming his own work? Like, no, what I I thought was there was there. Uh, I thought that was interesting. And then it's like, so then the question is, are you you kind of maybe pinning the blame on Bobby Johnson? Because you're saying, well, hey, when I look back at that Alabama film, he still looked pretty good, so I don't know what's wrong. But again, his initial comment was was putting it on Neil. I found that interesting. As far as the tackle guard stuff, I think at this point, it does him no good to say, yeah, that's on the table. Because, you know, they still do have five games left. I think Neil will be back, you know, if not the first game after the bye. I think he's going to return at some point here. And he's going to return at right tackle. So why even put that out there? So that's that's one of those situations, like in my first answer, where, like, they're not going to paint themselves into a corner and there's no need to share every plan they may have. But I think the, the other point Shane made that I've made a lot is, it's just a killer to miss this time. If you're Neil, like every snap, every mm-hmm. game he misses is really valuable evaluation time that they're missing out on. So, well, I think, and, you know, oh,
0: no, I was going to say the other part of that is it's two ankle injuries for him this year. I think five missed games so far. And he also missed a significant chunk of training camp. I mean, the giants, I think we all knew that, really improvement on the offensive line was going to come down to whether Evan Neal improved this year for the Giants. And, and it's been difficult for him, I think, and you don't want to make an excuse, but he hasn't been able to put together, you know, the kind of long stretches of getting snaps every day and getting in games that, that would really help him.
1: Yeah, but then the problem becomes, so now you have to plan for next year, and if we're two years into his career and there's still no really hard, sustained evidence that he can be a quality NFL tackle, you can't go into year three saying, okay, Evan Neal's our right tackle, set it and forget it, we're good there. You just can't do that, in my opinion. So that's where – The shifting to guard comes into the equation. Or maybe, I mean, at the very least, they should bring Tyree Phillips back because I think we saw those mistakes to let him go in the first place. Um, But do you maybe sign a mid-level veteran right tackle to have sort of a a more solidified backup plan in case Neil just – doesn't develop. Um, so I think how they manage him will be fascinating. So I think first step is let's get him back on the field. Let's get five games to see if some of the improvements that, you know, I think maybe Dave or Bobby Johnson, someone said they felt like he was improving in that Raiders game, you know, did okay against Matt Crosby, and then gets hurt. But let's see if some of those improvements can show up. Because, listen, if he finishes with five really good games, then maybe that's where the, uh, the Andrew Thomas light bulb coming on late in year two. Uh, parallel could be applicable, but again, we just haven't seen that. So I don't think, you know, I think they went in obviously after one year and said, listen, he's young, we love him, he works hard, he's got to make the leap. So whatever the reason is, whether it's injury, coaching, whatever, he obviously hasn't made that leap yet. So you can't go into year three, like hope isn't a plan. Like you need to know right. if he's the guy and if you're not sure, then that's kind of your answer. And that's where that's right. when the guard stuff I think becomes uh, more of a topic that they'll address in the offseason.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. You can't, you just can't throw him out there again if you're not sure. So let me, uh, let me ask you about the other sort of topic of the week with, uh, with the Giants, and that's the, the Brian Dable and Wink Martindale stuff, all of the, the tension between those two guys. And, you know, Jake Glazer's report that, that Wink might not last the season before they, before they part ways. And, and I think that went out the window Sunday with the way that the Giants played defensively. I think you can't, you, well, even if you want to, I think you can't really justify push and wink out the door right now without without basically losing the defensive players in your locker room at this point, which is something that Brian Dable and Joe Shane obviously don't want to do. But just what's your take? Uh, you know, on on. What you think is going on between those two guys?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, with that report coming out on Sunday, if say the Giants went out and lost, you know, thirty gave up thirty points to the Patriots in the loss, the bye week might have been a natural time for that mutual parting, whatever you want to call it, to take place. But like you said, three takeaways, seven points in a win. It'd be really tough to sell moving on. So, listen, there's five games left. Whatever difference they are, as long as it doesn't turn into Mark Colombo, Joe Judge, you grown can probably get to the finish line of the season and then reassess. But, listen, a couple things – I mean – jay glazer's batting average is better than anybody in the business like people, mm-hmm. i know giants fans don't want to believe it or they're, you know the giants have shot it down find me at the time where jay glazer's just been totally off base on a report like he doesn't just throw stuff against the wall like, if he's putting it out there it's you can kind of take it to the bank and then obviously my own report here, just being around the team i don't have any reason to doubt it like i definitely have seen some cracks in the foundation now the difference between maybe me and Jake Lazer—he's a little more sourced up, and he can, you know, drop the hammer when he reports it and say, "Listen, it's—it's it's really, I think it's a bad place," and that again, it, it might not even get to the finish line of this season, or he doesn't see it continuing beyond the season at the very least. I couldn't go that far, but I have definitely seen and heard that there's friction there. Um, so the, the report didn't surprise me. It surprised me that it, you know, escalated to the point where Jay laid out where again, like they might not have even right. made it through the season. So I, I, to your point, yes, I think. They have to catch their breath here. It wouldn't be a good look for either side to have it end, you know, randomly here in week 13 or every week we're in. Like, let's just get to the end of the year. The defense is playing really well these last two games. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you, wouldn't, you would definitely um, lose some some support in the locker room. And I think the interesting thing with, with Dable is, uh, you know, we did a poll on The Athletic and we talked about that uh, last week. And Dable's approval ratings were remarkably high for a guy who had three wins at that time. If you get kind of run Wink out of town or whatever you want to call it, you're not able to mend the fences there. I think the fan support, you know, would de- deteriorate a little bit. because so I think Wink is pretty popular with at least uh, a large chunk of the fan base and they like him as a defensive corner. They wouldn't want to see him go. So, yeah, So I think it's going to be interesting to see how they do resolve this if they are able to, because I don't think it will be a good look to, to move on from Wink. But if the thing is just deteriorate to the point where it's unsalvageable, I think that's, you know, how it ends. But, you know, they have a couple weeks here. Maybe they can, you know, find some sort of common ground, work things out. I mean, I think it's definitely mutually beneficial for them to be together on the, from the outside. But again, we're not in those offices. If they just can't stand each other, then that's obviously not a, uh, a good way to, to operate. So uh, this will certainly be probably the preeminent topic for the next couple of weeks. And certainly as soon as the season ends, I think all eyes will turn to this and how it plays out.
0: Yeah, it certainly won't be a good look for the Giants if, as some people have speculated, if they wind up needing three new coordinators next year. That certainly wouldn't be a good look for uh, for Brian Dable either. And it may happen because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I fully expect I fully expect Brian Dable to control this offense next year. I think he's maybe controlling it more the last couple of weeks than. That anybody really wants to let on. But Thomas McGahee's always seems to be under fire. And of course, now we hear what we hear about Wink. So the Giants could be, uh, could be revamping this coaching staff significantly at season's end.
1: Yeah, no, and I totally agree. Replacing all three of your coordinators. That's, that's not a great look. And, you know, cause obviously Brian Babel is going to have to go to John Mara and explain his plan for the future. And if it includes, you know, Wiping out his three top lieutenants. That's that's kind of a tough sell, especially because I know Wink is a guy who is thought highly of. You know, I think McGahey, he's been here, they really like him. I think there's an understanding there. It's probably time to move on. Uh with Kafka. I always I've felt like it's a little bit of a scapegoat move. If they fire Kafka because it's like you said, it's Dable's offense. He's very hands-on in that. You know, Kafka's not just freelancing and, and making calls going rogue. However, to your point, if, if Dable is going to take over running the offense, then I'm fine with it because listen, you, if he wants to control his own fate, cause you know, year three will be a big year for him. That's fine. So if that's the, if that's the move, but if it's like fire Kafka and basically almost pin the offensive struggles on him and hire Ken Dorsey or promote Jay Tierney and make them the play caller, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that would be as good a look, but if it's just a, listen, you know, Mike, you know, we're not really on the same page. I'm going to run the show. Then I'd be more okay with that. But yeah, no, I mean, have, we'll be doing some research probably if they do, if you move on from all three coordinators, how, how many times has that happened and how many times has that worked out? <laughs> I would think the odds of, of both of those things are pretty low and the, certainly the working out after that fact seems like that would be a, a bad place to be.
0: All right, Dan. As we continue here, I want to turn to some work that you guys did at the Athletic uh, before the Giants' Week 12 game against the Patriots. I want to talk about the the fan survey that you guys did. You guys asked uh, a number of questions, from the future of Daniel Jones to the future of uh, of Joe Shane and Brian Dable, and and I guess generically. I guess the, the first question that I want to ask about, about that is as, is, as you look at the results, as you kind of go back and, and, and think about the results of, of that survey, I think you guys asked, what, eight or nine questions. Was there anything in there where you said, you know, wow, I really didn't expect that?
1: I would say the level of support for Dable and Shane. Like I'm not surprised that people want them back. So I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I think the question was posed as should Joe Shane return as GM, you know, should Brian Dable return as coach. I would expect the majority to have said yes. It's only been 2 years. Obviously had the really good year 1. Like I don't think any this, I didn't expect a big chunk of the fan base to be uh you know pushing for change. But tables was 96.6% and Shane was 953 And I joked on Twitter, you could run a poll like, do you like free ice cream? And I don't know if the votes would be that high in favor of it. So to me, that was that was pretty surprising. You know, I mean, there's just there's just going to be trolls who will vote the opposite on an online poll just to troll. <laughs> so to see that strong of support for them, that definitely was a little eye-opening. Um, again, not that I thought that there would be like 50-50, but, you know, 80-20 would have been a good approval rating in my book. So to get 95 96%, that shows that the fans, you know, I think it was about 2,700 people responded. So it's obviously not every Giants fan, but it's a pretty good sampling. Very much support this regime. And I get it. You know, the year one was really good. You just don't want to keep cycling through especially with a GM. You can't fire a GM after two years unless it was just like, you know, okay, he's doing like GM malpractice type thing. So uh, I get it. But, yeah, that, that was probably the biggest one that surprised me. Uh, you know, and I think that the support for Daniel Jones was – Obviously, not there. I think it was 75, 76 said he's not a franchise QB, like they need to move on. And then Saquon got a little more love than maybe I thought, where 45% said they want to make him a giant for life, and 34% were in favor of keeping him on another one year deal. So, you know, about 75% want him back in some capacity, and then about 80%, and then the other 20% said move on. So Um, so it's like a lot of support for Shane and Dable, some strong support for Saquon and not very much for Daniel Jones. I wouldn't say anything's It was really surprised me, but just the, the level of support for Shane and Dable was the one thing that jumped out to me.
0: Yeah. I don't know about you, but I think in terms of, of Shane and Dable, I do think they built some equity last year. And I do think John Mara said it when he hired Joe judge, they have to get off this two-year treadmill. And I, I personally think that at this point, You can't separate Shane from Dable. You can't you can't take the coach away from the GM, you know, when the GM hired hired this guy. I feel like they're a pair. And I don't know, one, you know, one bad year, you know, I've questioned and I've written about it, you know, both on Twitter and, and on my website. I've questioned a lot of the decisions that got made this year. You can you can question everything from the Daniel Jones contract to how they handled the place kicker situation and just about everything in between, just about everything they've tried this year has gone sideways. And yet, yeah. And yet you still, you're back to square one if you, if you move on again. So I understand people supporting, but, but yeah, 96%, 95% (laughs) is, uh, is, I mean, did, uh, you know, did, did, uh, Dable and Shane get get their moms to, to vote like a few hundred times. Well, I know Dable's got a bunch of kids, so I mean, yeah, maybe they were all on there.
1: Um, but no, yeah, and I, I totally agree with you. They're a package deal. It's very different. Uh, you know, when when Dave Gettleman and Shermer came in, Gettleman was able to kind of push Shermer off the plank and save himself. Um, but they weren't really as much of a package deal as Shane and Dable feel like. Obviously, you know, we're in Buffalo together. That was Shane's guy. They are very, very much aligned. They always talk about that how. You know, it feels like it's very much a dual relationship there, where every decision is made with both of them very much involved. So, and again, I don't think you can fire a GM after two years. So then, obviously, his his handpicked head coach is going to go. You know, be partnered with him. And listen, I mean, I think even three years would probably be a little quick. But that's where it gets interesting because let's say they let's say they don't get a quarterback this year. Because if they get a quarterback in the top ten, I think that buys them two years. Because I kind of you gotta give him the rookie year, and as long as it's not an abject disaster, like say what's happened in Carolina. Because and next,
0: get, oh, I was next year would be a transition year where it's right. move away from Jones and move to the new guy. So you got it. You're right. You've got to give them two.
1: Yeah. So say they go five and twelve next year, you wouldn't feel great about that. But if you, you know, it's kind of like that Pat Shermer year. That's not a good example because he <laughs> he did get fired after Jones looked pretty good his rookie year. Um, but then I think, yeah, you give him year two, and if it's still no progress, then you'd have three straight losing seasons. Then, obviously, I think the decision would be pretty clear. I think where it gets murky is if they aren't able to get a, a top draft pick quarterback, and they kind of have to bring Tyrod back or some similar type player, and they run it back with Jones, assuming he is healthy and, and you know was able to start in week one, and then you have a really bad year next year, then I'm curious to see if they get a fourth year. But I think, obviously, they're safe for year three. And you have to feel some level of confidence that they can turn it around. This has kind of been a Murphy's Law type year. Um, So next year is certainly going to be a big year. But I think whether or not they're able to get a quarterback early in the draft will have a big impact on sort of how next year is viewed going in. Like it could be a hot seat type year or it could be a, all right, like you said, we're kind of resetting and and we'll see how they develop this quarterback because obviously you're hoping it follows sort of that Josh Allen blueprint in Buffalo.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm one who thinks that if you're going to go ahead and draft a quarterback, I do think it gives them probably the two more years unless last unless next year turns into a one and sixteen. Because I, I I think one of the worst things you can do is draft a quarterback like that really high and then pull the rug out from under him and put a new regime in place. Because then you're back on that treadmill of he's not the guy we drafted, he's not the guy we want.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Giants, well, I mean, it's funny, as we're talking about this, they just did that. <laughs> you know, and all we heard mm-hmm. about is how Daniel Jones had no continuity, different coaches, different play callers. So you wouldn't want to do, turn around and do that um, to another quarterback because I think, obviously, they know that wasn't – they didn't put Daniel Jones in the best situation to succeed. So you want to maybe learn from your mistakes, hopefully, and if, if they end up in that position, let uh, Dable and Shane grow with the guy that they do handpick, you know, if indeed it comes to that.
0: Crystal ball, Saquon. We get to next training camp. Saquon a Giant, Saquon somewhere else. What kind of contract does he have if he's a Giant? Do they slap him with the tag again? Uh, just, you know, long-term crystal ball. Take your best guess.
1: I mean, that's, that's funny. I keep, I keep saying this for every every topic. It can be fascinating to watch. It's kind of like a thing I keep leaning on. But it will be to, to see how they approach that because there's so much water under that bridge. So when they finally – you know, they can't negotiate now, which we're like, I'm sure they're happy about that, at least on the Giants' side. They're like, listen, hey, our hands are tied. You know, you're know, you on the franchise tag. But as soon as the season ends and, you know, Saquon's agent reaches out, I'll be fascinated to find out what that first offer is because they're not starting from scratch anymore. There's very clear uh, benchmarks that they established last offseason. So you're going to come in higher, lower, same. I mean, I, I think they get something done. It just feels like he wants to be here so badly – and you know, it's still amazing to me that they couldn't bridge the little gap that existed when we got to that July seventeenth mm-hmm. deadline, whatever it was this past summer. like it's amazing to me that they were both so stubborn at the finish line where they couldn't just say like it's a million or two here it's like million,
0: was, yeah and, yeah. and
1: you're just say a million or two here, but in the in the scope we're talking about, it's not that big of a difference. I think he has really demonstrated his value this year. I mean, out of the gate, you're like, oh man he's hurt again, like that kind of steals his fate. but the way he's played, he's he's been everything they could have wanted off the field he's always been that type of guy I think he's even stepped it up another level this year because he's still playing hard he hasn't complained about getting you know 40 carries in games when they just have no other uh, form of offense so I think they work something out like I mean I guess the tag is in their back pocket I don't think that's in the best interest of either side don't go through that dance again so I think they get a reasonable deal done. And it's, you know, like a three-year, let's say $39 million, which I think the number a lot of us threw on last year that made sense. And listen, I'm the, one of the biggest, like, don't pay a running back. They're easily replace, replaceable. Maybe it's because I did the story on them, and I, I've seen a different side of them. I am starting to come around that, like, he, him and the Giants might be a unique case where he is so valuable to this team. Can you imagine what this season would look like if they had Matt Breida and Eric Gray at running back? Like, I mean, it would be, it would be harder to watch than it's already been. I think – I think there is some value to just taking care of him. You're not gonna. It's not gonna be a ridiculous deal. They'll be able to get out after two years, I'm sure. I think that that's how it can play out. Next, how it probably should play out.
0: I would agree. I think that's how I thought it should have played out last year. And and I'm like you. I thought how could how could you not bridge a gap that was as small as as what it reportedly was at that point right. in time. But uh, Dan, let me let me close with this last thing for you. Um, as we record this. It's Tuesday. This will be our Wednesday show. Um, We saw this morning that uh, Tiki Barber was named a semifinalist for the Hall of Fame. First time that Tiki has gotten that far, which puts him in the final 25. In your mind, is Tiki Barber Hall of Fame worthy?
1: Yeah, I, I think he is. I think he's one of these guys that maybe has uh... – as time goes on, his career maybe looked at a little better too. Um, you know, he was one of those like dual purpose guys before you had so much of that. Uh, and you look at his career stats, they they stack up with guys who are in the hall. Uh, his, You know, he had longevity, a had durability, he was super productive. And it's also crazy, he's one, another one of these running backs who kind of retired on top. You know, <laughs> like, so uh, yeah. I think, yeah, I think he was one of the best backs of his era. Um, you know, he's obviously not a slam dunk, as you said, it's the first time he's even gotten to this stage. But yeah, I think he deserves it.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating because he retired so early. He retired, I think, at 31. And if you use the longevity argument, you know, you you can say. And it's funny because I was I was asked about this on on a radio show earlier on uh, on Tuesday, and I said no. But I really have to think about that. I really have to go back and look at the numbers because. The only the only argument against it that I can make is the longevity argument, and and maybe that's maybe that's not enough. But uh, anyway, Dan, I appreciate the time. Uh, why don't you let folks know uh, if they don't know, you know, where they can find your work on on the platform formerly known as uh, as Twitter, and mm-hmm. uh, what you guys might have coming up during the bye week at the Athletic.
1: Uh, yeah, so Twitter X, whatever you want to call it, is uh D Duggan 21. And then, as you know, you reference, obviously, you can find all our stuff myself and Charlotte Carroll on The Athletic. To be honest, I don't have a lot planned. I'm hoping nothing crazy happens. There's not (laughs) any news, like I was kind of bracing, let's not have any wink announcements or anything to disrupt my bye week. I am uh been a late bye week it's been kind of a long slog to get to this point so i am trying to uh, relax as much as possible and then obviously we'll kick it into high gear next week but yeah i'm i'm looking forward to hopefully a quiet week let's hope that the uh, the giants oblige
0: you you have small kids dan you can't relax and exactly. have quiet weeks that's that's not allowed so that's why for 9 to 5 is when I need to get that time because, yeah, for
1: when, as soon as they wake up and, to, and they're off to daycare and school and as soon as they come home, it yeah, like you said, there's no such thing as quiet. So I'm going to try and have these afternoons and mornings to myself as best I can without the Giants intruding on it, hopefully.
0: All right. Well, we appreciate you letting us intrude on, uh, on one of your afternoons. So thank you for that. Giants fans, thank you, as always, for listening. Please stay safe out there. Take care of each other, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.